Welcome to episode four. This is Elisa. I know you're expecting Lynn behind the microphone and not myself, but Lynn can't be here right now. For better or worse, it's on me to tell the end of the story. I'm sure you're eager to know what happened. I'll tell you in a second, but first I need to make a confession. I wasn't completely forthcoming in my interview with Lynn. I knew what had happened to her. I had all the answers she wanted. I just never expected she would find anything out about it, let alone contact me. When she first called me a few weeks ago, I was at a city council meeting about rezoning parts of downtown for some construction project or other. The most boring stuff you could imagine. So when I realized who was on the phone and what she was asking, it was like a flash bomb went off inside my head. A rush of adrenaline, an explosion of excitement and manic thoughts. But it also blinded me. I'm recording this days after everything is over, so I've had some time to reflect. It's about midnight. Things are quiet around me. Helps me think. Robert's 5,000 hours of recordings have been destroyed. I was asked to do the same with this podcast, but I acted on the wrong impulses before, and hopefully helping the podcast to see the light of day will help right some of that wrong. Lynn was able to complete two episodes and left behind extensive notes for episode three so it was easy for me to edit it together exactly like she wanted. What you will hear now was put together from interviews I conducted in the past, as well as new ones I did this week. I feel now like I betrayed my profession in the past. My job is to expose the truth, but I decided to hide it instead. At the time, I thought I had a good reason to, and I'll explain this in a minute, but now this story must see the light of day. I couldn't look any of my colleagues in the eye otherwise. Lynn deserves her story to be told. Project Ares must be exposed. The implications of its work are frightening. No government should have the power it could give them. But above everything else, we must preserve our humanity. I know this doesn't make much sense right now, so let's get into it. Lynn put together most of this puzzle already. All I need to do now is put in the missing pieces. This is past continuous. Two days ago, I received a frantic call from Lynn. Hello? Alisa? It's Lynn. Hi. What's going on? I, I need to see you. Is everything okay? No. I don't... I don't know. Did something happen? You said you wanted to help me, right? Of course. Can we just see each other? Where, where are you right now? I'm losing my mind right now. What happened? Calm down. I just talked to Mom. Okay. I laid it all out. I... You know, what I found out about Dad, the, the, the disc with my name on it. What did she say? That I was in the hospital. Last April, I was in the hospital, and I don't remember. Really? I was brain dead. And Dad resurrected me. Like, he brought me back from being brain dead. And I'm here now, talking to you. You're not acting very surprised. What? No, I am. I'm just... You knew I... about this. You knew this all along? Lynn, I have a fucking brain chip in my head. Right? Mom won't tell me, but you know. I don't... I, I don't know what to tell you. Tell me the truth. Everyone's been lying to me from the beginning. You knew everything about me before we even met. Right? Yes. Why? Why the charade? Why fucking lie to my face? I owe an explanation. I know that. 
This doesn't make me look particularly good, but I'm supposed to tell the truth here, and that includes my own shitty behavior. So let me take a step back and tell you what I really knew about Lynn before I met her in person. And this goes all the way back to 2017, when I first heard of Project Aries. I guess I should tell you first why we didn't talk anymore. This is Bernardo Rourke, Robert's closest colleague at Project Aries. I recorded this in May 2017. We were really close, he and I. But by the end, he hated my guts. Which is why I was so surprised he even came to me. When Robert started working there, Bernard had already been at Project Aries for a year, but was unhappy about the state of the research. And understimulated. In Robert, he immediately saw an intellectual peer he admired. When he started talking to me about creating a software brain, I was like, whoa, this guy is a visionary. And then when we did it, when we actually implemented a chip for the first time and the subject started talking back to us as intended, I, I literally couldn't believe it. I was having the time of my life, to be honest. But with Robert, there was always an edge. It was always like he was onto something deeper. Bernard suspected Robert was working on a side project, something the brain chip virtuoso didn't want to tell anyone about. During the day, Robert would go through the motions of working with the test subjects and fine-tuning the chips, but he was on to something else after hours. He came to work blurry-eyed, irritable. He started to harangue colleagues about how their technology had the potential to save mankind, but instead, they were helping destroy it even further. He said he didn't know how much longer he would be able to go along with it. This was around the time he started to see Rick as a human, and not just a test subject. And one day, Robert finally came clean to Bernard about his secret activity. There was a recording of it in Robert's documents. I have a confession to make. Okay. This has to stay between us. Of course. I, I have a test subject that's not officially locked. What do you mean? What do you mean, Rick? He, again with this. They don't have names, they have numbers. He's not a goddamn number. He's he's a man, Robert. He's not in the facility. He lives outside. What? Don't tell me. Don't tell me you took a prototype outside the facility. He's not a prototype. Tell me you didn't take a prototype outside this facility. His chip has been working without a single glitch for almost two months. You took a prototype outside the facility. He's... He's a functioning human being. It's incredible. He's not human. His flesh was grown in a petri dish. His mind is programmed. You might like him. You might be deluded enough to think that you have some sort of relationship with him. But he's not human. He has no soul. You programmed him. It's not real. He has feelings like a human. Whatever his origin, he experiences life like you and I. He has feelings, emotions, thoughts of his own. How can you deny him that? Where do you keep him? I can't let you do this. I'm not going to tell you. Then I have to report you, you for your own good. You wouldn't dare. Not only is it a gross violation of protocol, but I don't think you're fit to lead the team anymore. Ah, there it is. The moment you've been waiting for. Remove me from my position and replace me. This has nothing to do with me. I'm thinking of the good of the program. The good of the program? The program is monstrous. How can you not see that? I mean, I feel bad now thinking back. I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. You reported him. Yeah. I believed in Project Ares. I thought he was jeopardizing valuable research. So, what happened? The project discovered quickly where he was keeping the subject. Small studio outside of Artisoft. They came in, took it away, and shut it down. They didn't fire Robert. He was too valuable of an asset to them. 
but he was put under very close watch and stripped of all his supervisory privileges. And he was suffering like hell. The subject he took outside the facility, he thought of it like a son, literally. So when we took it away, he was gutted. It? The subject? You still think of them purely as test materials? Yeah. I understand Robert's perspective better now, but as far as I'm concerned, the subjects aren't human. I stand by that. Subject O3000, Robert's greatest creation. He intended for Rick to prove the humanistic potential of Project Ares. For Robert, this was now the only way the technology should be used. A few months before, the program mapped the brains of some prison inmates. One of them was a vicious serial killer, sentenced to 280 years of prison without the possibility of parole. Robert took this man's personality profile, erased all his childhood trauma, and replaced it with memories of a happy, fulfilled childhood. He gave him an interest in art, and after full implementation, Rick turned out to be a lovely, empathetic person and talented painter. Robert literally turned a monster into a saint. It showed the true power of the technology, and he loved that version of Rick, loved him like a son. So when Project Ares came in, took away Rick, shut him down, and wouldn't hear Robert out, that's when he decided the whole program needed to stop. That shutting down a prototype was akin to murder. That using the technology for military purposes would result in an apocalypse. That Project Ares, and by extension the American government, was violating human rights on a scale seldom before seen. That's when he contacted the Chronicle. For months I worked with him through the evidence, put my story together. My editors were incredulous and amused at first, but got more and more on board as I showed them the reporting. Getting our hands on Robert's tapes would have been the final proof we needed to make this airtight. But then, Robert changed his mind. He implored me not to run the story, said Project Ares absolutely needed to be shielded from public scrutiny. At first, he wouldn't tell me why. But when I said I'd publish the story anyway, he came out with the whole truth. It had to do with Lynn. It was tragic, and I agreed to pull the story. I had to give my editor something, so I scraped together a couple of bullshit paragraphs about quote-unquote smart weapons. But the truth, the real story, I kept that under wraps until now. I turned over in my mind countless times the best way to put out this story. In the end, I think Lynn's mom, Laura, should be the one to tell it. She agreed to talk to me a few days ago. You know, we only did what we thought was best at the time. And what was that? We saved our girl. We made her better. She was a great kid when she was young. Curious about everything, whip smart, gears always turning. Artistic kid. Played piano, guitar, drew, wrote short stories. She had an unstoppable drive to be creative. Hazel was left brain like her dad, but Lynn was a free spirit. She had endless potential. I loved that about her. But there was a darkness to her. Sometimes you could see it in her eyes, a maliciousness, unnerving at times. It became clear to me there was some sort of time bomb inside her, ticking down the seconds until Her free spirit became more and more devilish. Like fights, drugs, run-ins with the police. I hope it was just a, a phase she was going through. Hormones on the roller coaster ride of puberty. But then we discovered she was doing heroin. 
and by her senior year we had lost her completely a full-on addict now I didn't want to admit it at the time but that's what she was there was nothing left of my curious and smart girl but I still had hope for her that's not Robert all this time Hazel has been on the straight path to success top of her class in med school we were so proud of her. Robert decided he didn't want Lynn to be associated with our family anymore. Academic excellence, a stellar career, that's what he expected from his children. That's what he wanted the family name to stand for. So we cut her out of our life, acted like she never existed. Meanwhile, Lynn was homeless and shooting up every day. It's hard to reconcile the Lynn Laura is talking about with the Lynn you and I got to know. And yet, it's supposed to be the same person. Remember episode one? My name is Flora Lynn Wheeler. Everyone calls me Lynn. A year ago, I graduated from Columbia Film School to be a documentary filmmaker. Since then, it's been a lot of ramen dinners and unpaid bills. I called some numbers Laura gave me, people that knew Lynn at the time, and they tell a different story, confirming everything Laura just said. Lynn? Yeah, we are not junior year. Whatever happened to her? I backpacked through the countryside. I heard she died. That's true. Straightened out. I heard she overdosed. Started giving serious thought to what direction my life should go in. She was cool. People just go down the wrong path. She ran away from home, didn't she? I always went back to the parents, you know. And yet the show must go on somehow, doesn't it? She was a junkie, but I still loved her. And Robert did too. He just didn't know how to deal with his pain. But when he saw he got the chance to change her fate, he did. What happened? She overdosed on heroin. When we got to the hospital, they told us Lynn had no brainstem reflexes. She had been kept alive by this breathing machine. After several days of her being in a coma, brain death was imminent. The doctors wanted to wait before calling it. Sometimes drug overdose patients recover from this, but after 10 days, she was declared legally dead. Robert resurrected her and made her into the daughter she should have been. It was a brain chip. Yes. I had no idea what he did at his work. But Robert explained everything to me. The technology, his potential. He told me we could bring Lynn back to life. He could take away the darkness, the drugs, the misbehavior, and make her a bright, young, successful woman. Someone, someone he and I could be proud of. And when the doctors pronounced her dead, you went through with it? She had so much unfulfilled potential. She deserved a shot at life. We deserve a happy family. Designer babies, optimized humans, the ethical implications of that are being discussed in our society right now. But Robert, he just went through with it. He had the power to play God and he just did. Frankenstein brings back to life the daughter he thought he had lost. Not a monster, his own flesh and blood. But see, that's all he brought back. The flesh and the blood. Her mind, he made her into someone else. Almost everything Lynn thought she knew about herself or her past was wrong. It was programmed into her the same way Robert programmed into Rick a fear or a love of dogs. What you, the listener, thought you knew about Lynn was wrong too. Who she really was, was a drug addict who overdosed and died. The Lynn you listened to these past three episodes was someone Robert invented. An ideal daughter, a woman in appearance with a software brain instead of a human soul. But is that really fair to say? 
This is what I struggle with, where I come clean, where I try to give the explanation I owed to Lynn and to you listening at home too. I met up with Lynn precisely because I knew all of this about her. It was cynical of me, but I was almost giddy at the idea that Lynn might find out the whole truth about herself in Project Ares. Would it be like the ending of 2001? I could picture her seat shaking and her starting to see colors and then suddenly some sort of singularity would happen. Honestly, at the time, I couldn't see her as a human. I could only conceive of her as a machine, some freaky human-looking robot. But when I met her in person, it changed everything. I forgot all about the chip in her head. She became human for me. When we talked, her reactions to things were the same reactions I had. Her struggle with her family past was completely relatable. Her emotions, orchestrated by a computer chip, were the same emotions I had. How was my humanity any different from hers? I gave her the hard drive with her brain on it because I truly wanted to help her understand. Even though I knew on some level that if she did fully understand, in a weird way, it would be like taking away some of that humanity. Lynn still thought of herself as fully human. And I knew it wasn't on me to take that away from her. I thought if I could only give her enough clues so she could find out for herself, it would... Actually, I don't really know what I was thinking. I still don't know if it was the right thing to do. I did it, and that's that. In the end, everyone deserves to know where they come from, even if, technically, they're only a human hybrid. Robert called me one night and said he needed my help. Bernardo Rourke again. This was recorded a few days ago. He showed up 10 minutes later at my house and told me what had happened to his daughter. It was heartbreaking. He cut her off and had thrown her out of his house, and he blamed himself now for what ended up happening to her. He thought she would learn a lesson and come back home, but really it sent her further down the spiral. When we talked, Lynn was still on a breathing machine, warm to the touch. All her organs were working. He told me what he had planned on doing, and at first I refused to go along with it. I mean, perform a full implementation on someone that's in a coma? His own daughter? It's completely nuts. But you still went along with it. I did. Robert was in such despair. I had never seen him like that. He was the most distant and analytic person I had ever met. But now he's sitting on my couch crying. And our sense of reality was warped. We played God in that lab every single day. He wasn't asking me to do anything fundamentally different than our daily job. It was just the two of you doing this? We tried at first, but it was impossible to keep under wraps. I mean, we got Lynn's body out of the hospital with false papers saying she donated her body to science. I drove a medical van with her still on the breathing machine to the facility. We kept her there in ICU overnight. I guess someone alerted the bosses. I thought it would be over, especially after what happened with Robert and Subject 03000 a few months before. But he struck a deal with them. They would let him perform full implementation on his daughter. They would put their institutional weight behind it. The first time this was done on a human in a coma. Not a clone, but a human. And in exchange, he would sign her over as property of the United States government, subject to a yearly data analysis of her brain chip. 
What? Lynn belongs to the government. She doesn't know it, but that's the reality. Once a year, they shut her down, analyze her chip, and bring her back again. That's why there are no hospital records or anything. The government erased almost any trace of her former life so she could start completely anew and be observed at every turn. Her brain chip we stitched together using a lot of the traits Robert had used on different versions of the subject he called Rick. It was like all the work he did on Rick finally put to good use. He wanted Lynn to remain fundamentally the same person but give her a redemption story. Someone who went through rebellious teenage years but got their shit together after high school and went on to do great. He thought if Lynn felt she had learned a lesson in overcoming a difficult past, there would be less risk of her going back to drugs. So what happened to Robert? Why did he disappear? He didn't disappear. He still works for Project Ares. What? There was a second part to his deal. His research with Rick was way more advanced than he ever made official with the project. At the time, they were building a new facility in Montana. More secretive, more isolated. The one in New Jersey was being shut down. Robert agreed to fully put his research to military use at the new facility. No humanistic aspirations this time. He fully signed his soul over to the project. In exchange, they let Lynn live her life in peace. He's been in Montana the last two years and he's come through for them in ways you can't imagine. Those cops beating up peaceful protesters all over the country, for example? Let's just say they're not fully human. You're shitting me. You have no idea. And Robert is the visionary, as he's always been. Except now, he really is using it for evil. He sacrificed everything, his family, his life, his ideals, in order to save his daughter. There's a strange phenomenon called the coastline paradox. Basically, it's impossible to accurately measure a coastline. The CIA, Congressional Research Institute, and a number of other government agencies all have vastly different measurements for the length of America's coastline. No one knows exactly how long it is. No one will ever find out. It's because unlike human-drawn geometrical shapes, natural coastlines are uneven and fractured in ways that are impossible to measure. The more accurate you're trying to get by looking closer, the more fractures multiply, and the longer the coastline gets. But if you looked at it on an atomic level, any coastline's length would approach infinity. It's the same for the human mind. Every time you try to understand it, another layer reveals itself. Have you ever looked at something someone else did and thought, I don't get that person? Or looked at something you did yourself and thought, I don't know why I did that? You've just experienced another fracture of the human mind, the coastline paradox. Call it the amygdala paradox. That's the human condition. We'll never be able to fully understand ourselves and each other. There's always another fracture in our mind, another unevenness in our character. This might be a scary thought for some, but I think it's something positive. Celebrating life means celebrating mystery and possibility. Our mind is endlessly capable of the new and good, the unexpected. In Lynn's case, the unevenness in her mind led her to the darkness. Laura told me something I thought was revealing. She said what she struggled with the most was that she couldn't understand why Lynn became an addict. She had a perfect idyllic suburban upbringing, all the privilege in the world. She could have lived a life millions of others would have envied. Instead, she went the exact opposite way. Why? Who knows? 
We'll never be able to understand. Addiction is a sickness. Maybe Lynn didn't have much of a choice. But Robert, he made a choice. Obviously, no one wants a life of drug addiction and homelessness for their child, but he chose to value Hazel over Lynn. And when he had an opportunity, he chose to give Lynn the value he thought she should have. Education, travel, a path to success. But was Lynn's life really worth less than Hazel's? Strip away the markers of success expected of us by society? What makes one human better than the other? Is there anything? Aren't we all worthy of love and empathy no matter what? Tell me the truth. If you really want to help me like you claim you do, then tell me everything you know. You were a drug addict, and after high school, you spent years homeless and strung out until you overdosed on heroin and were brought to the hospital brain dead. Your dad brought you back from that and put most of your mind on a chip, but erased your junkie past. That's the long and short of it. I was a drug addict? Yes. I'm, I never, I, I mean, yeah, I, I partied in high school and I took some drugs, but I wasn't an addict. Your parents wanted you to have a better life. So when they brought you back, they replaced that part with, I, I guess you went to New Zealand and found yourself or something like that. So none of this is real. I'm not who I think I am. I think it's like you share the same body that Lynn was born with, but your mind is different. She's gone now and you're, you're new. I was dead, and I was brought back to life. You were never dead. Lynn passed away in the hospital. You were created afterwards. I'm, I'm human. Yes. But my brain is software. Yes. So what does that make me? I don't know. What is that, I, I don't, nothing in my head is real. I'm not real. You're real, it's just... None of my memories are actually mine. They never happened to me. They didn't. They happened to someone else. Yes. So how can I be real? You're conscious. You're alive. All the thoughts in my head were programmed by my dad. My feelings for him, everything, it's... I'm gonna be sick. There's something else. What? What your dad did was with the knowledge of Project Ares. They only allowed him to do it if you became the property of the United States government after the procedure. What is that even? What? You're not an independent person. You belong to the government. They study your chip. Okay. Wow, I am. I need to. Lynn. Lynn. Hey, Lynn. Oh my God, Lynn. Hey. Lynn's chip malfunctioned, like Rick's did, every single time. I called Bernard and told him what happened. 
Shortly after, some people from the project came, took Lynn away with them, shut her down for good, and I guess somehow disposed of her body. Whatever it is the government does with the property, it doesn't need anymore. I heard that Robert came back to see Lynn one last time. She was still malfunctioning. That's the last memory he will ever have of his daughter. And you might ask, if Robert knew Lynn's chip would malfunction sooner or later, that yes, he could bring her back to life, but that at the same time he would condemn her to her certain demise, why would he do it in the first place? He saw his own daughter malfunction. For the rest of his life, Robert will think of that. And he was responsible for it. Why not accept the life and time of Florlin for what it was? no matter how painful her death must have been for him and Laura. I guess it's one of those fractures of the human mind no one can account for. Look closely enough and you'll stare down an eternal abyss. All I know is Project Ares must end. Humans cannot play God. Machines should not gain consciousness. I saw it with my own eyes. Who are we to decide what another human being should be like? Who are we to decide that a life lived a certain way is worth more than another? Robert and Laura tried to create a daughter who would live a life worth living, but the heartbreaking part is that in doing so, they doomed her. In the end, for her owners, she couldn't have been more worthless. All they were interested in was the data on her chip. No matter how human she seemed, Lynn wasn't determined by that humanity. She was determined only by the technology inside of her. No one could accuse Robert of being poetic, but the only time he allowed himself to muse in his journals on the meaning of life was right after he performed the full implementation on Lynn. What always struck me was that even though he wanted Lynn to be accomplished and prosperous, he still respected her artistic personality. He could have made her into a scientist or a businesswoman, but she was on her way to being a filmmaker. And whatever other reasons he had for bringing her back to life, he wanted her to be happy. So he wrote down what he hoped her life would now be like. The only story worth telling is how to live a fearless life. Everything could be over in an instant. Don't be afraid to love, dare, be bold. I read something in a novel when I was a young man, and it stuck with me to this day. Fear tastes like a rusty knife, and do not let it into your house. Courage tastes of blood. You have plenty of courage. I know that. So go out there and admire the world.